tremendous challenges and opportunities exist right now for our nation's water infrastructure. In this podcast, the industry's top leaders and innovative minds share their knowledge and insights for ensuring our water systems are operating safely and efficiently. These discussions are designed to motivate and create vibrant 21st century water systems and the innovative workforce required to lead and operate them. This is 21st Century Water with your host, Aquasite founder and CEO, Mahesh Lunani. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm with Calvin Farr, Chief Executive Officer of Prince William County Service Authority, providing water and wastewater services for over 360,000 customers. Calvin is a professional engineer and is on the boards of NACWA and AMWA. He has been a lifelong public utility professional, where having worked at WSSC Water, City of Atlanta as Assistant Commissioner, and recently as Director of Utilities at City of Richmond. His bachelor's in civil engineering, master's in environmental from John Hopkins University, and an executive master's in public management from University of Maryland. I guess I would say Calvin is highly educated. I very much look forward to the conversation with Calvin and challenges and solutions for the water sector, and especially water and wastewater, in the eastern board communities of the United States. Welcome, Calvin. Thank you, Mahesh. Good to be here. Good to talk to you. Uh, I'm really looking forward to you know, you've been working in this sector, water, wastewater, utility world, for close to two decades. During this time, what has changed significantly for this sector? Very good question. So there's two things that I think about, and I'm always uh, thinking about people, workforce, and culture. And uh, I've seen a major change in regards to how things are managed in regards to the workforce. So you know, when I came up, it was uh, technically, I guess, two generations, Gen X and baby boomers and me being a Gen X. And, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, depending on where you are, you actually have four generations in the workplace. So you're seeing a shift from uh, command and control type of leadership to more collaboration and uh, welcoming feedback, you know, because quite honestly, the kids we created, the, the younger folks, mm-hmm. they ask a lot of good questions on why you do certain things and why we shouldn't do it that way or why we could do it this way. And you actually have to be honest with them. Uh, welcome their feedback because, you know, I think there's some things we taught them. And so we've seen a major change there. It also from, uh, you know, our core business in regards to infrastructure improvements and being compliant with environmental regulations, I've seen a shift in just my personal experience, you know, being uh, a part of a number of consent order negotiations and implementations and uh, dealing with enforcers from the state and federal levels. I see there's more of a partnership nowadays as opposed to being uh, as contentious as it was. And thank uh, the heavens that our state and federal partners are now getting it in regards to affordability challenges, considering more integrated approaches, because, you know, Mahesh, uh, you know, folks being compliant with consent orders and consent decrees, you know, depending on their jurisdiction, uh, they've put all their funds into those efforts where other matters are deferred, like your water systems and you you got your lead service lines that you needed to address decades ago, but you couldn't spend any money on it because you were worried about your sanitary sewer overflow you know, consent decree, but also, 
you know, even the areas of stormwater where that's been deferred in regards to funding. So you see these areas, you know, see the stuff now. So I think our federal and state partners actually get it in regards to more integrated approaches that have been approved, helping local jurisdictions spend funding in an appropriate way to address all these issues. So I think that's been a major change, too. Right. No, I love the way you described it. There are two shifts, a command control work culture to a collaborative work culture because of the four generations you're seeing in the workforce at the same time. And second is a contentious relationship with the regulators to a collaborative relationship. I think that's really good for the sector as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about your current role as a CEO at PWCSA. Can you describe in numbers this organization? But more importantly, what is the pressing need that your residents are asking you? Yeah. So uh, just to give you an idea, we are Prince William County, probably 45 minutes south of D.C. And we're considered, I guess, the Northern Virginia Corridor, I guess you want to call it. We serve about 360,000 folks, uh, about 96,000 accounts. We, uh, in my opinion, pretty lean organization. We have about 330 employees, uh, hardworking folks, 2,400 miles of water and wastewater pipelines. You know, in regards to treatment of wastewater, we have one treatment plant that services uh, about uh, half our normal flow in regards to average treated, um, about 30 MGD. And then we send uh, additional wastewater to UOSA, Upper Aquaquan uh, Service Authority. We don't produce water here. We're actually a wholesale customer of Fairfax Water, and that's uh, about 30 MGD there. Annual operating budget, when I say we're lean, you know, and had support of our board, but also as we continue to invest in our infrastructure, trying to address best practices and running a utility, uh, probably need to staff up, but we're about $100 million a year operating budget and about uh, $470 million uh, over five years in capital. This has always been really a high-performing organization, so I inherited a, a great organization. What I'm leading to is I don't get a lot of customer complaints or any consistent issue that we need to address from a customer standpoint. I think we do a great job trying to make sure we have a world-class customer experience with us. Uh, we survey our customers constantly. So any interaction with our customers, uh, if we had a water main break or some other issue, uh, we actually survey those customers. And uh, we do an annual customer survey and we get very high marks. But that doesn't mean there's no concerns from our customers. Uh, you know, what's interesting about Prince William County and the Northern Virginia area is that we're one of three uh, fastest growing counties in Virginia. So we have to maintain infrastructure, but also at the same time, there is growth here in the county. So about half of our county is, uh, I guess, developed and the other half is rural. And there is a discussion in our population and our local politicians about smart growth and things like that. So the question that you know, comes up for the service authority is water supply, quite honestly. Uh, we're going to be able to provide additional water to additional population. And that's either a discussion for folks that are against growth or for growth. That's always going to be a discussion. And rest assured, we'll be fine in regards to what we see in projections in the next 20, 30 years. But that doesn't mean we don't continue to explore other ways to 
address, you know, climate change down the road and things like that. So those are right now overarching concerns in regards to how the service authority fits into the discussion about growth here in the county is really water supply. So, you know, when we pose that question to me, it's pretty, pretty easy. I mean, you know, I know some of my peers can tell me a lot of other things that their customers really, really want. But um, right now it's water supply and those concerns with growth. Good. Well, it's interesting. As a water utility CEO, you are inheriting a high performance organization. You are figuring out, you know, how to cater to a growth demand, which is not typical of what we hear about a water utility CEO, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, exactly. so that's a good spot to be in, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> now, I get it that the residents um, a lot to be happy about how things are going, but I'm sure there are challenges you have at PWCSA that you're trying to address. What are those and what are the strategies you're deploying to meet those challenges? Yeah, so some things that keep me up at night is uh, our workforce, quite honestly. So we're not uh, any different from anybody else regards to this uh, big quit or big resignation or the one I like the best is the big reevaluation. Mm-hmm. You have folks that actually, you know, taking a step back during the, you know, quarantine and uh, pandemic and kind of realizing that this might be a change for them. I can't really fault them for that, you know. So we're really no different in regards to increased turnover. Uh, that is concerning. And um, how do we address that? We have to understand that, and again, I get back to the generational discussion, but we have to understand that folks aren't going to stay 30 years. It doesn't matter what you do, they're probably not going to stay 30 years. So some of the challenges with that and also recruitment and retention. So all related, you know, recruitment is, uh, do folks actually know you can have a career in the water industry? We all know that you know, when you deal with your, your local water provider as a customer, you think that that's all we do is turn off water and turn it back on, but there's a lot to it. A number of uh, careers are, you know, at a water utility, not just engineers or field technicians. We, you know, we need uh, mechanics, electricians, you know, the whole gamut of opportunities. So uh, the recruitment, we have to do a little different. And also some challenges, like I said, you know, we're lean in certain areas uh, that concerns me. And when I say lean, uh, we don't necessarily have the bench strength. Right. You know, folks leave and then you have a gap at that point. So another challenge, too, is transitioning back to the office. You know, folks have been out of the office for two years, some 100 percent telework. And we've taken our time bringing folks back compared to our regional partners um, on purpose because we kind of really want to be careful as we bring people back, making sure folks are comfortable bringing them back. It's going to be a big transition, uh, making sure they come back to a good culture and welcome them back. So those are some of the challenges. Now, some of the strategies uh, in our budget is coming up and I've instructed staff to look at ways we can increase our staffing, beef up our staffing levels, again, for bench strength, because I think the turnover rates Hey, yeah, hopefully they may get a little better, but they may not get back to where it was. We don't know, but staffing up, bench strength, um, expanding our recruitment uh, strategies in regards to not just posting the job on online. That's not really going to do it. You know, we had to reach out to folks, go to job fairs, form apprenticeship programs uh, with our local schools, community colleges, word of mouth, continue to do that and things like that. So, 
those are some of the things, you know, we got to do some things differently to appeal to folks. You know, now we have the hybrid approach we're going to implement in regard to telework, which seems to be uh, something folks really want in regards to recruitment and coming to work, considering flexible schedules, more flexible schedules. So we got to do some things differently and to appeal to the next uh, generation of, uh, of workers. I truly understand that, that you are up against headwinds uh, as it pertains to, you know, several things, reevaluation of employees, uh, the water sector as a competitive sector, uh, both from attractive point of view and compensation point of view. Well, if not for people, I think organizations are perfect, aren't they? <laughs> but but we need people. And yes, and I yes. do agree with you on the bench strength. I mean, you need to have redundancy, yes. just like you have redundancy in the water sector, right? How you supply water. Absolutely. So it keeps you up at night. Let me shift to the focus on investments. Okay. You talked about you're putting in $470 million in the next five years. Where are those investments going? Where is that money going, number one? Second part of this is, how are you tapping into this historic bipartisan infrastructure funding that's coming down the pipe? Yeah, absolutely. So the bill, the infrastructure funding, that's, uh, that's outstanding. That's uh, really good news. That's an illustration of our federal partners are actually getting it. You know what I mean? But, you know, overall, you know, just before I get to that part is, regardless of what we're investing in, and uh, we're lucky here in Prince William County to have infrastructure not necessarily past their useful life. There are some instances of that. Um, when I say well-run organization, they've done a great job of annual investments and in infrastructure. Uh, of course, we slowed a, our spending during the COVID, kind of held back, but we are picking it back up in regards to capital funding and getting our work done and execution rates and things like that. So uh, really, we're no different anybody else. Uh, one major investment we have going on is our design build project, a $100 million project at our HL Mooney wastewater treatment plant. The facility is older and we're just improving certain aspects of it, but we're no different than anybody else in regards to the needs to replace our water mains and rehab our sewer mains. One thing we're, we're being aggressive about here too is investing in our wastewater pump stations mm -hmm. and uh, improving our SCADA systems and things of that nature. And what I really love about it here is we take preventative maintenance very seriously. So uh, as we renew the system and we have additional growth, that doesn't mean we don't maintain it. We don't wait till things break and have problems. So we have regular maintenance. And then also cybersecurity and physical threats. Unfortunately, we have bad actors in this world now and they, they're, they've uh, proven a show and to go after water utilities and wastewater utilities. So investments in cybersecurity is there. Um, in regards to the bill, you know, our challenge here and the perception, you know, maybe it's my perception, but uh, Prince William County is uh, viewed as one of the wealthiest counties in, in the country, quite honestly, depending on what source you look at and what, what you read. But that doesn't mean we don't have needs. And uh, what I love about this infrastructure funding is the priority for disadvantaged communities, right. which we do have here in Prince William County. So now we can focus on those areas, get federal dollars for those areas to improve those areas, you know, address environmental justice in those areas. And when we do that, we're able to spend money and funds in other areas in the county. So, you know, have a lot of work to get done. So we'll be heavy in, on trying to get those dollars for some of our disadvantaged communities here. 
Uh, also, what I like is uh, language about workforce development. You know, again, bringing on the next generation of folks. How do we train them? What ways do we do it? How do we get them interested in the water industry? And then also, again, uh, the language in there and the cybersecurity. I think it's a good start in regards to funding cybersecurity efforts, especially for utilities that are much smaller and don't have the resources, you know, because the bad actors, quite honestly, will go after them and easily impact them as opposed to a larger utility. So I think it's been a good start for cybersecurity. I think it needs to be beefed up over time as we grow over time and learn more about it compared to our energy sector partners, right? which they are you know, well ahead of us in regards to cybersecurity. But yeah, so those are, in my mind, our top three things that we would be looking for in that funding. Right. Now, so on the cybersecurity, I remember hitting you, I think you were on a panel on this topic. Mm-hmm. So you're episode 20 for 21st Century Water. And I think the most I've heard about cybersecurity is through this conversation we're having. Yeah. So clearly, I think it's a topic you feel near and dear, and perhaps you you are closer to it than others. Yes. Um, and the threats are not going away with everything going around the world at the moment. No, no. So as I was preparing for this uh, session, I saw you said something that was triggered my mind. Mm-hmm. You said turbulent times can be transformative times. Tell me what transformation are you driving at PWCSA? It's already a well-run organization. You've inherited. So how do you make a difference? Yeah, I think uh, you kind of have to use these, these challenges as opportunities, right? I'm a firm believer in that. For me, it's uh, you know, all about people and culture. So we talk about the transformation. So we just kind of started. Uh, I think it was started a little bit before I got here, but uh, now we're picking it back up. And uh, what we have uh, coined our performance excellence journey. And performance excellence means the integration of leadership, our workforce, and, and results, getting good results. The leadership piece focuses on our strategy and our customers we serve customers, we have to have a strategy on how we serve them, but then also at the same time, we have to produce good results. So we have to measure ourselves, set goals, uh, use the best practice uh, matrices and meet those or exceed those goals. To me, uh, to get there, we got to focus on our leadership and our managers. We know the leadership is not easy and uh, we have to actually illustrate and live by sound and and good leadership habits to lead. For me, as a new general manager, you know, the culture will change just naturally. And culture I'm looking for is a collaborative culture, you know, where we communicate and foster open feedback. I want to hear from employees, everybody, about what things uh, need to be improved and what's going well. And I don't have a problem with honest feedback and collaboration and we all together come up with solutions. But, you know, when we go through that collaboration and open feedback, I want people to be comfortable doing it, having uh, frank conversations, uh, having a culture where folks aren't afraid to make mistakes because uh, there's a risk in everything we do, really. And you try to minimize those risks, but there's things that are going to happen out of our control, but that shouldn't stop us from trying things, right? Um, so that's the transformation 
but also interesting too, Mahesha, I didn't tell you this, is Prince William County is one of the most diverse counties in the country, but our workforce doesn't illustrate that. Mm-hmm. So we're in the process of infusing, embedding, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion into our culture. Uh, what's great is uh, I get the sense that our workforce is welcoming to that too, right? So my thought is really, we have to match what our customers look like, what our population looks like, provide opportunities to everybody, you know? Right. So it's, uh, to me, uh, I think a great journey to, to embark. And I think we have the people to do it. Right. No, it's a, it's a fascinating. You talked about that last topic of that the workforce reflects the residents you serve in terms of diversity. And in fact, Dave Gaddis was on this previous episode 17. He exactly was transformed his leadership to reflect the communities he served yeah. within D.C. Absolutely. So to me, it's very clear. A lot of your emphasis is around creating an authentic leadership so that you drive open culture frank discussions, et cetera. But normally, you know, when it comes to water sector, you don't say, oh, it's okay to take risks, but make sure that risks are are manageable, right? That's not how we think in the water sector, as you know, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to see you driving right conversations. Yes. You mentioned earlier, and I want to bring this topic up, you are running a utility in one of the wealthiest counties in the country, but at the same time, you have a portion of disadvantaged communities within the county. At least that's how I understood how you're tapping into the BIL. Yes. Now, equity, environmental justice, even net zero are major themes in the sector, right? Yes. Can you describe how at PWCSA you're addressing it? Is there one or two strategies or tactics you're doing to serve that aspect of the the population? So Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, there's more than one or two. It's a, it's a lot. It's uh, honestly Mahesh one of uh, probably the biggest challenges I've had. You know I'm an engineer, so you know regards to culture and having these difficult conversations about diversity and equity and inclusion. You know you got to have real honest conversations. So as we embed those, uh, you know, into our culture. We had to live by it. So we've uh, changed uh, one of our core values to respect and inclusion. Uh, before it was respect, but now it's respect and inclusion. You know, I tell staff, uh, you know, I'm always going to require a standard of excellence here, performance excellence here. We want the best people, the best talent. You know, when I say that, it's got to be diverse. It's going to be diverse because if you hire the best people, you're going to have a diverse workforce. Uh, it's proven that, you know, diverse workforces are higher performing, you know, so the emphasis is getting the best talent, having that as a part of our culture. And we've had those discussions with our employees, uh, focus groups and uh, town hall meetings and, you know, telling them where I'm coming from in regards to that, you know, uh, not to exclude anyone. I'm welcoming to everyone, providing those opportunities to folks in our county. You know, we could assume a number of things of why we don't have that many women in our workforce as an industry or minorities. But now is the time to say, hey, there's career opportunities over here. There's opportunities, you know, and there's a lot of folks that may not even know there are opportunities. So we got to get to those areas and kind of, hey, we're hiring over here. Um, these are the career opportunities we have and welcoming. them. And also, you know, that's internally to our organization. But 
you know, when I talked about our capital improvement program, there's opportunities for our small and local and minority owned and women owned businesses to do work with us. Uh, I think we can help uh, the community that way, um, help folks live that American dream and owning a business. And uh, we have the funds there. There's opportunities there. We're establishing a program for that kind of in a gradual way, see how it goes. You know, I talked about the environmental justice and, you know, disadvantaged communities. Uh, we're working that into our asset management program as a, as a factor to focus on those areas, not just uh, overall infrastructure needs, but also in those areas that need that, because uh, I'm a believer in infrastructure uh, improvements shouldn't just be done by who has the most money, you know, and it's got to be equal. So we're doing that. Um, and also conversations about net zero, about how we can be more efficient and, you know, consider different fleet options and uh, renewable energy. So we kind of having those uh, started those discussions and playing those efforts now. Right. There's no dull moment, isn't it? No, no. That's the fun <laughs> part, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, I, I want to talk about uh, technology for a second. Because technology is making a huge difference in every sector, right? Whether it's the consumer life, the financials, the e-commerce, the automotive, et cetera. How, what is the role of technology in this sector? And what are you excited about the most? Yeah, to me, uh, technology, you know, very important. You know, when I talk about our journeys, performance excellence, or anybody's journey, uh, meeting or, expect, you know, or exceeding expectations of our customers, technology has got to be at the forefront. You got to be able to make decisions and justify those decisions. And I'm a 100% believer in data-driven decision-making. Technology helps with collecting information and using that information to make solid and sound decisions. So uh, that's where technology comes in, uh, in my opinion. Technology also helps our employees do their jobs much better, be more efficient. And what I love about it you know, and excited about it is when we get our employees fostering innovative ideas and continuous improvement. In Prince William County Service Authority, our folks, they get it. You know, they're always looking to do their job better, uh, innovative ideas, continuous improvement. We welcome the new ideas. Uh, and I love that because when we welcome them, we're, we're spurring collaboration and inspiring our workforce. Let's be honest, you know, um, technology you know, the latest and greatest thing that can help us do our job is actually fun. That's exciting. You know, if you're just stuck in your ways and status quo, we're doing it the way we've done it for 40 years. And that's awful boring, in my opinion. So, right. you know, that kind of inspires our workforce and, and especially when they're a part of it, you know, decision making and, and things like that. So, you know, and then the, the technology has gotten to us for what we call information rich. You know, it's mm -hmm. we're beyond the major data collection effort. Now we're information rich where we can make sound decisions quickly. You know, we review our data dashboards on a weekly basis, you know, real time information about how we're doing. So technology, you know, it's you know, at the forefront. And what helps us is our board, our board of directors. So they've been outstanding. You know, it comes from the top. Hmm. They're all about innovation and pushing for us to use the best technology. Very supportive in that effort. I don't have to convince them to, to go off the latest and greatest that will help us in uh, serving our customers. 
Well, it's good to have board on your side, oh, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, you know, given the thing that keeps you up at night in terms of having good bench strength and a backup plan, in many respects, technology could be your backup plan so they can do more with less. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Now, you're on the Eastern board serving communities up and down, uh, perhaps on the coastal lines or close to it, and you're expanding rapidly. So how is climate change impacting your utility and how are you preparing for it? Yeah. So, you know, I think that climate change, you never know what it's going to bring in the future. So, you know, right now in the Commonwealth of Virginia, I think the last, within the last five years, we've had uh, the two wettest years on record. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's going to be like that decades from now. You never know. So with the rapid growth here, again, not just Prince William County uh, discussion, but Northern Virginia County discussion is water supply. So, you know, some things that we're doing to prepare for that is we're master planning and water supply is one of the aspects of our master plan. And there's some strategies that we're considering. You know, you have to consider everything, really. Um, Additional storage, uh, purchase more water from our wholesale provider, even considering treatment plants and things like that. So kind of having those discussions, you know, what does the future look like? Right now, it looks fine in the next 20 to 30 years, but you never know past that. So you got to prepare now for those future plans. I think we have a good partnership in the region. We have to always continue to find ways to enhance that partnership. How do we help each other in regards to water supply? And I I think we have great partners here in Northern Virginia. So we have to continue those discussions and and, uh, make some sound decisions on on the future, you know. This is a a paradox in this sector that on one side, you know, people want instant gratification. That's the kind of world we live in. But you are thinking 40, 50 years from now, way beyond our path, our useful life, yeah, yeah, right? Yes. But if not for the people 50 years ago planning what they planned for us today, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be here. So that's an interesting thing that you're thinking about 50 years from now, the water supply and and security, water security, so that you can sustain the growth. And I hope the sector and all the politicians and the city managers recognize how these long-term planning comes into play Mm -hmm. and the impact of it. Definitely. So you're two decades into water leadership. I have a question on this. Mm -hmm. What is a water leader for the next decade? Mm -hmm. What are the core skills they need to possess? Because a lot of things are happening changing in this sector. Absolutely. Some things that jump out to me, you know, I'm sure that the whole gamut of leadership skills that is needed, but, you know, some things that jump out to me, one, it has to be collaborative. Again, uh, the next generation of workers are not going to conform or deal with command and control. They're, again, going to ask questions on why and why should we do it that way? We can do it another way kind of you know, thought process, which I which I do love, and they bring a lot to the table. So uh, you got to be collaborative. You got to be able to listen. That's a strong trait of a good leader. You have to listen. You know, as a leader, you don't know everything, and I don't know everything, so you got to listen. You have to be able to coach because uh, folks are, over time, are going to meet adversity. There are going to be challenges. You got to be able to coach people through, and you got to provide honest feedback to them. It goes both ways. Um Another thing you gotta, I think you gotta be, you gotta be assertive. And uh, the, the word assertive, not meaning that you 
make rash decisions or quick decisions. You got to be assertive in the decision process and setting the strategy and not just setting the strategy, but actually following through and executing that strategy. And you got to do that. You got to be assertive um, because there's a number of challenges we have now and we'll have in the future. And you can't take that approach of kicking the the can down the road is not going to be my issue in five years kind of thing. You got to be able to be assertive now in your decision making. Uh, And then, like I said before, you got to be authentic. You got to be yourself. You know, I'm quite honestly, I'm not comfortable around people that I find that they, they may not be themselves for whatever reason. So I think uh, we have great folks in this world and just be yourself, be authentic, because the leader is going to have a hard time leading if people don't feel that you really have a passion for what you're leading them about, you know? So you got to have a passion for it and you got to be yourself. You know, it goes back to the self-awareness. You got to be yourself, uh, know what uh, what you're strong at, what you're weak at, and uh, be able to relate to people in an authentic manner. Yeah. And I talk about those three things, right? But uh, in the next decade, you got to have the ability to to lead change. You got to manage change, lead and manage change. That's not always easy. And as we change as uh, organizations, you got to be able to lead it. And you need those three skills, at least those three skills to even to get through that. So you got to be be ready for that. And then, uh, you know, talk about the collaboration, but not just collaboration with your staff or your team, but your community, you know, and uh, community leaders. You can't have your water and wastewater lens on without understanding the economy, what you serve, the people you serve. So you got to build a network, your local politicians, local citizens, your local leaders, uh, regional and national water utility leaders that, you know, I try to, when we talk about these boards that I'm on and, you know, get to these conferences and talk with other leaders uh, that have been, uh, have more experience, you get mentored by them or you provide advice to them and vice versa, just the whole collaboration thing. So I think that's needed, you know, because we have to collaborate to solve and address some of our current and future challenges. Yeah, I don't feel like Calvin. I'm speaking to an engineer. All these, all these topics yeah. sound soft, right? Yeah. <laughs> Collaboration, authentic leadership. Yeah. Which, by the way, I love it yes. because people will see through the bullshit mm-hmm. yeah. if you're not authentic. That's right, right? right. That's and right. you know, most people do because we're all getting media savvy, yes. right? That's right. So I truly believe in that authentic leadership concept. You have to be real, yes, right? Absolutely, to lead it. Now, I want to kind of wrap this conversation up, and I learned a lot through listening to you and how you are shaping your life. What are you most proud of to date, and what is the one legacy you want to leave behind to the community you serve and to the sector as a whole? Well, good good question. question. It's a heavy question. I'm sorry. There's so many elements to it. It's okay. Um, Well, there's a couple things, uh, if you don't mind me saying, but... uh, you know, most proud of uh, over my career, I've been at some organizations. What I'm most proud of is watching folks grow and uh, being able to foster that growth, either from coaching or providing opportunities or anything. You know, um, when I hear from former colleagues or current folks that work here and you hear the stories about, you know, they got some training and some experience and they got promoted and things like that, that uh, actually actually more most proud of others 
advancing in their careers and taking on opportunities. You know, also what I'm proud of is my own journey. I don't like to toot my horn too much, but you read off uh, some of the, you know, the organizations I've been a part of. That was all done uh, really on purpose, really to gain uh, leadership experience at the executive level and at some point running an organization. So that was always my goal. And, uh, you know, I could have stayed at WSSC for the rest of my career and retired, but I jumped out on faith a little bit. And um, it was scary at first, gained the experience uh, to be a top leader and been fortunate to become the new general manager of Prince William County Service Authority. And I know I've been here a year, but it still feels new. I'm very proud of being appointed as general manager because not only is it uh, fitting my aspirations, but also, you know, when uh, this is the first time I met our board and I didn't know anybody here in Prince William County, really. And I was appointed based solely on my merits, on what I brought to the table. And they were satisfied with my thoughts about our vision and what we plan to do day to day and how we're going to help and foster our culture here and our people. And so I'm very proud that they appointed me as new general manager, especially at this high performing organization. Very proud of those things. Um, you know, the legacy part, you know, just starting the legacy for me, getting to know our community, getting out and about more, getting to know all the leaders and how things are done here in the county. So I'm, my legacy really is uh, want to make sure we have a strong connection with the community, provide those opportunities like I talk about with job creation, remain strong in our connection with our public schools, uh, open the eyes to our local up-and-comers, you know, from high school to middle school to elementary school, enlighten them about the water utility industry. Um, legacy, again, provide jobs, opportunities for our contractors and you know, our small local and minority and women-owned contractors. And then also, you know, really love uh, the possibility of helping our less fortunate folks with financial hardship in these disadvantaged communities, helping them get through tough times. Uh, I know we are a water company, but I think we can help regards to making sure they're served, uh, working through their issues, infrastructure improvements overall. I'm definitely going to be a legacy, but also how do we improve it in uh, certain areas of, you know, disadvantaged communities of in our county. So that's uh, kind of a nutshell of uh, the legacy I would like to leave. No, that's outstanding, Calvin. You know, if I sum it up, you are managing the water sector in the one of the wealthiest counties in the country, um, trying to determine how you want to manage the growth of your sector, heavily focused on workforce, culture, talent, uh, try to be an authentic leader, as you said it, rightfully so, and really enjoy watching other people grow. I mean, that uh, sounds like you really want to be a coach and, and enjoy you know, their aspirations. I want to thank you for so many angles of discussion we had today. Yeah. And um, you're only one year anniversary into your role, but I'm sure you're going to make a tremendous impact. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Calvin. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mahesh. Join host and Aquasite founder and CEO Mahesh Lunani again next month for another episode of 21st Century Water. Subscribe for free in Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher. Produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts.